the heart of the Oregon wine country, you're listening to Season 5 of the Wine Crush Podcast. Stories uncorked for casual wine enthusiasts around the world, featuring winemakers from the Willamette Valley. Sponsored by Country Financial. From origin stories to terroir, here's your host, Heidi Moore. Welcome to Wine Crush Podcast. We are season five, episode 16. Holy hell, we have done a lot of them this year, but we are back and we have two great ladies with us today. They're both repping their brands. They didn't bring their other halves with them today. So you guys are all it. Um, But we're going to start off with Catherine Hermans with Double Zero Wine. Did I say that right? You did. Yay. I know we just went over this, but I have a tendency to forget short-term memory issues, I guess. So let's add, you didn't bring your husband with you. He's your other half that didn't make it today. So the show is yours. Let's start with this wine story and where all this came from. Yeah, well, I'm really excited to be here. So thank you so much for having me. And uh, yeah, we're drinking today the Double Zero Wines EGW Extra Good White, which we'll talk about in a minute. But uh Yeah, we really, really are excited and believe that the future of the Willamette Valley is Chardonnay, which I know can be, we're in Pinot land in the Willamette Valley. So we're excited to sort of showcase the future of what Chardonnay can be here. And my husband, Chris, um, has been an attorney in the Willamette Valley for many decades. And when his father, my father-in-law was alive, we decided to start this project in 2015 my father-in-law was 90, nine zero years old. <laughs> so of course, perfect time to be an entrepreneur. So we started with just a few hundred cases of wine, like I said, focusing on Chardonnay and selling it to family and friends. And people just put it in the glass, really enjoyed it. And it's been great. If I remember right, it's been a couple months since you and I chatted down at your office. And you were so cute today when you came into the office because you had your own little pitcher of ice and water with your wine <laughs> set in. When you came into the office, you walking cooler. So, you know, the wine was cold. You didn't want it to get warm for us. It was awesome. So cute watching you walk in. But the backstory with your husband and his his dad was it goes back several generations as far as like farming or kind of that business entrepreneurial spirit. And we cannot miss that because that was such an integral part of the story and kind of where you're at. Yeah, definitely. So uh, Chris is a second generation here in America, but first generation born in America. Um, and his parents emigrated to the U.S. after World War II. And they settled here in Willamette Valley. They went to Corvallis and both of his parents were professors at OSU. His uh, father was a professor of forestry and his mother was a professor of pharmacy, which was very rare at the time. And uh, she fought for women's equal pay at the university. So a very, very cool woman. So Chris grew up here in Corvallis in the Willamette Valley. He's a beaver and a duck in the household because he did go to University of Oregon. So for Oregon people, that matters. Um, (laughs) It is because then you're not choosing sides. Exactly. Yes, we do get into this argument in this room every once in a while. I'm a wildcat, so I'm a Linfield girl. So I don't really sit on either side. I sit right in the middle, but it gets a little heated on occasion. So thank you for clarifying that. Totally. Yeah. So his father was a world-renowned plant geneticist specializing in the Douglas fir tree. And so for those of you who don't know Oregon, the Douglas fir tree is the state tree of Oregon. So he traveled all around the world teaching people, you know, which genetic strains of the Douglas fir would grow best in different countries and regions around the world. So they definitely have, um, you know, an agricultural sort of farming background and forestry and a 
big, big love for this wonderful home that they made for themselves here in the Willamette Valley. So I'm from Maine originally. I call myself a cool climate varietal. <laughs> um, and my childhood was not was not about wine at all. I grew up um, in western Maine in the mountains, and it was kind of like a Robert Frost poem, which if you guys have read that, nothing happens in the Robert Frost poem, like stopping by the woods in a snowy evening. Do you know what happens in that poem? The protagonist stops by the woods on a snowy evening and looks out upon the snow and then just keeps going. Like that's pretty much what it's like to grow up in New England. Um, that's not a lot of action. No. <laughs> he didn't freeze to death. He didn't get lost in the snow. No. Didn't, yeah. <laughs> just pausing for a second. And so I'm really happy that I grew up with a dad who was super creative. His name's Steve Brown. Look up Steve Brown, rock musician in Maine. He still lives there. So I grew up in this, you know, quiet little town called Freiburg, Maine without a lot of action, but my dad was super creative. And so he really loved, you know, wearing the tie during the day, but becoming a rock musician at night and on the weekends. How so, fun is that? What a, that's almost like a Clark Kent kind of thing. Like, you know, businessman by the day and Superman at night. Totally, totally. And so I grew up, I'm a technology nerd, and I grew up around PC Magazine, Macworld Magazine, synthesizers, sound gear. My favorite thing about my dad is he plays the guitar on stage. The guitar is like popular in the 80s. It's like a keyboard, but you hold it like a guitar. And he will I play this. I was just going to ask yeah, you yeah. what that was. And now I can totally envision it. It's very much an 80s kind of cool thing it seemed like to do and then jump off speakers. And yeah. Did yeah. he have the hair, like the hair bands, like the wild curls? And No, no. But he did, he did rock a really sweet mustache. <laughs> So my dad really introduced me into like the greater creative world and turned me into a gearhead and a tech nerd. So what I do with Double Zero Wines now is I run the day-to-day -day operations and I'm really excited about marketing and communications. And most of our customers for Double Zero are not in the Willamette Valley. So I get to interact with them in the digital format. I'm also a podcast nerd, so it's good to be here. Perfect. This like is perfect fitting for you then. Yeah, exactly. So how did you get over here then? So if you grew up in Maine, yeah. which with Maine, you always assume and like totally match it with like lobster, but you were on the opposite side of the state. And so no lobster in the mountains, I'm assuming, unless it was driven in from the coast. I don't know. Is there inland lobster? This is a stupid question from a girl that grew up on the Oregon coast, but is there inland lobster that you can catch? No, there's no inland lobster. Damn, okay. However, here in Oregon, we have the lobster mushroom, which is pretty good. Okay. I have not had that. That'll be something to seek out. I'll bring you some inland Oregon mushrooms, <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> lobster mushrooms. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, yeah. I, I would gladly accept them. You just need to tell me how to cook them because I've never heard of them or tried them, let alone cook them. So that'll be a whole experiment within itself. So back to the question, how did you get to Oregon if you grew up over there? Well, a lot of, uh, well, Portland, Oregon, people don't know it was really named after Portland, Maine. So I was tempted to take the Oregon Trail, like the early <laughs> pioneers, but I actually uh, just took an airplane. So I was involved in the tech industry after I moved to Boulder, Colorado, and I lived in Boulder and Denver. And then I started working in uh, New York City for a few years. I had to live out my Carrie Bradshaw Sex in the City moment. It was good, but I also had a fourth floor walk-up apartment, which was not glamorous. Oh, no. But great legs, though, I'm assuming, from walking up all those stairs. Fantastic. Yeah. Yep, yep. Legs were on point. Yep. <laughs> so after a few years, I knew it was going to be good for my career. I worked for IAC Interactive Corp, and um, it was a really fun time. It was, you know, 2010 to 2013, so like the second generation of tech startups and media, super fun. I learned a lot. 
But I'm a country gal. And so one day I was in, it was summer, I was in the subway and that hot subway air, I can't even describe the smell, (laughs) came rushing through. And you know, you see little creatures scurrying around eating slices of uh, pizza from the night before. (laughs) And I was just like, I think I'm done. I think I'm, I'm good here. So I have to admit that I was watching the TV show Portlandia. I get asked or used to get asked about that wherever I traveled. I got stopped and I don't even, oh, she saw my driver's license and asked me if Portland was really like Portlandia in Nashville. And I'm like, honestly, I don't know. I've never watched that show. But if it's weird, then yes. Yes. It's probably the same show. Yes. <laughs> it's exactly like that. So I, I came to Portland and I moved there and I immediately fell in love with Oregon. And then when I was living downtown, I met my husband, Chris, and we were drinking a glass of wine at, well, I was at a bar complaining about men um, when I met him the first night, drinking a glass of something by the glass pour. And yeah, I met him at Irving Street Kitchen, which is a legendary restaurant in downtown Portland that is now closed, unfortunately. Oh, bummer. Yeah. And the rest is history. So we live here in Carlton, Oregon now, and we make wine at the Carlton Winemaker Studio. Double Zero Wines has really grown from a few hundred cases to now 3,500 cases. Oh, wow. And uh, we are distributing to all the major wine drinking cities in the U.S. And we're now distributing around the world. So about 25% of our production goes to Asia, which is very cool. And yeah, we're I'm seeing our Chardonnay bottles all the time on Instagram and people are enjoying them in some of the best restaurants in the world. And so it's it's really rewarding to be able to come from the backwoods of New England and my dad's guitar playing (laughs) to Willamette Valley. So I love that fusion of um, being able to communicate with people around the world through digital technology while also living in this beautiful place. It's like you've done this before. Like that was such a great like, you know, like transition into and finish what you're doing. Um, Was your husband always a wine drinker? Or I mean, where did the crazy idea come to like start a wine label. I mean, you're an attorney by day. And I mean, the wine industry isn't easy and it's not inexpensive by any means. And so there's always that like conversion point with like an aha moment or you've grown up with wine and now you've kind of, you know, grown into this new whatever. And so was it him that came up with the idea or was it you or did you do it together? It was really him. And his father, um, they moved here in 1954. So his father was here before the wine industry was a thing. So he was one of the early clients of David Lett, David Adelsheim, John Thomas. And so they would go to the winery, pick up their wines, um, you know, John Paul at Cameron. So my husband, Chris, really exposed me to these great wines that he and his dad had been collecting for a long, long time and teaching me about the region here when Chris and I first met, which is fantastic. So Chris's specialization, you know, as an attorney is in law for wineries and breweries and distilleries. So he always tells me that that should have deterred him from doing this <laughs> because True. he's seen it all yes. as you have on the inside of the business. But he just has such a passion for the people, the farming, the place. And we really believe as a family that Willamette Valley, especially the Northern Willamette Valley, is the best place in the new world for the great grape that we love, Chardonnay. So, you know, we said, we're not getting any younger. Let's just try it out. And if it works, great. We'll have a business. If it doesn't work, we're going to have some dang good table wine and a lot of good memories and a lot of good laughs. So we decided to do an asset light model. So we've always made wine in other facilities. Uh, We don't own any vineyards because we are really blessed to be able to get some of the greatest fruit in the Willamette Valley. 
So for example, we make a little bit of Pinot Noir. We're in the Valley, so why not? So we get the 1972 own rooted original block in the Highland Vineyard. And we also get the 1968 own rooted original block in the Shahala Mountain Vineyard. You know, that parcel was planted in the ground by Dick Erath himself. I know a lot of people know him as the, the Dundee Hills guy, but he actually started in the Shahala Mountains. So we learn something new every day. I love it because I didn't know that. You didn't? No, I did not know that. Well, we have to drink some more wine together and I want to know all your secrets too. <laughs> oh, well, you know, you're going to have to really get me drunk because I forget my secrets, <laughs> but they come out after too much alcohol <laughs> or I'll just make them up. One of, one, one of the two. Sometimes it happens both ways. Well, how cool. Yeah, I did not know that. And I think I've been in um, one of his original vineyards in Dundee, right. but I did not know he was in the Shehala Mountains. Yeah, yeah. And so it's really fun to be able to get these parcels. I hope someday we'll be able to have a family estate vineyard. Uh, it'll probably be in the Eola Amity Hills. That's my home stomping ground, or at least my home now. Exactly. Yep. See, we'll be closer so yep. I can come to your front porch and we can make this happen. <laughs> I have a great front porch too. I just need rocking chairs. So that's that's my next step is rocking chairs or swing, one of the two, maybe both. Who knows? Both. But both. <laughs> but yes, we'll make sure that that happens. Yeah. So we're excited to be able to work with these incredible parcels. And so what we're drinking right now is the EGW Extra Good White. This is the 2019. And this is a blend of... Um, Dana over here is giving the, the pump sign. Super excited for more. <laughs> She's on her second pour. That's a good sign. So it's a blend of the Seven Springs South Block Dijon clones and also the Wenty clone, which is an older heritage clone that was the first Chardonnay clone that was planted here in the Valley. Actually, no, second, second, I believe. Someone's going to listen to this and then fact check me. So before the Dijon clones Just came, don't send me dirty emails or nasty emails because it was not me that said that. Send it to me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so before the Dijon clones were here, the Wenty clone was here. And the Wenty clone, a lot of these plots have been ripped up because they just didn't ripen in the early days of the Willamette Valley wine scene. So um, thank you so much to David Adelsheim for bringing the Dijon clones to us so that we could get Chardonnay started. But now people are really excited about bringing that Wenty clone back. So we're very excited to get block B3 from the Shehala Mountain Vineyard, planted in 2006, this block is, and it was grafted over to Wenty. So the EGW stands for extra good white, and we blend that every year to be a, a blend of the old Wenty clone and the Dijon clone Chardonnay to sort of talk about the past and the future of the Willamette Valley and Chardonnay. Because Wenty, of course, like I said, was the past, and now it's coming back around again as the future. So, you know, I think a lot of uh, the word on the street from Willamette Valley winemakers is that the Wenty Chardonnay is something that is really exciting. We're actually all fighting over the tiny little plots of Wenty and a lot of people are planting Wenty Chardonnay right now. So we really believe in this varietal as the future. That's exciting. I've not heard of that clone either because it's usually you you do hear the, the Dijon clone has been the major one in the valley that everybody has gone to, you know, because there's been some hits and misses with different clones. And that seems to be the one that has like kind of stuck. And I did not know the Wenty clone was a thing. So again, I should probably go through my W set stuff and whatever else. And I just don't know where I'm going to put the time to do all that. So I'm going to learn from you all as you're coming in. Let's talk a little bit about Chardonnay and the fact that a lot of winemakers get the ABC, the anything but Chardonnay when people come in the 
in the tasting room because they don't think they like it because they are used to a particular style and not that there's anything wrong. So again, no hate mail, please. But, you know, people are used to California Napa Chardonnay to where you get that big oaky, buttery, balmy kind of, you know, whatever, and people don't like it or some people don't like it. And so when they come up here, they expect the exact same thing and it's so not the same thing. And so I guess two questions, why Chardonnay? And let's talk about the difference between, you know, the two stylings. And I know there's different winemaking styles and there's different processes and blah, blah, blah. But there is definitely a distinction between California Napa and Oregon Willamette Valley. Great questions. Thanks. Uh, (laughs) So the answer to the first question is, you know, as we know here in the Willamette Valley, the Burgundians are here and they came uh, first with the Druens and and now with the Jadot project at Resonance, we have um, Jean-Nicolas Mayo from Mayo Camazé here with Nicholas J. And, um, you know, some great, great folks. And also Dominique Lafon was came from Merceau to work with Larry Stone at Eveningland many, many years ago. And the Eveningland Chardonnays really changed people's minds in America about the next generation of the Willamette Valley Chardonnay. And that was really the resurgence. And then you have the whole... Um, sort of family tree coming out of that early evening land project. So you have um, uh, Lavinia with Isabel Meunier, and she's making some amazing wine on her own and also with um, Andy Lytle, which you had the Obain. Yes. I, oh, I had yes. that. The I could drink bottles and bottles of that. Oh, yes. <laughs> I think and, I have. And, <laughs> and what a show that was with Andy Lytle. I have not <laughs> met Isabel, um, but Andy, of course, talks highly of her and her skills but yes, Andy, as he was sitting in this table twice, was a handful. Yeah, <laughs> love, love Andy. Great love episode. you, Andy. <laughs> love you, Andy, on so many levels. But yes, it was a it was the first of our rowdiest of shows with, with Andy and Wynn. It was so yes, fun. It yeah. was so fun. And then um, it was fun to listen to. Also, um, you know, Walter Scott. So Ken and Erica Paolo came out of Evening Land as well. Ian Birch came out of Evening Land, and now he's at Archery Summit. Thomas Sav, who's at Lingua Franca now, and then Larry and Dominique Lafon went over and all founded Lingua Franca at the same time that we started. So I think the the idea for this incredible like resurgence and renaissance in Willamette Valley Chardonnay came from that early like gang of Evening Land and everything that they've done so far. So Dominique Lafon is very, very excited about the future of Chardonnay here. And my husband, Chris, has had a lot of conversations with him. And he's told us that he firmly believes that Willamette Valley is the best place for Chardonnay in the new world, bar none. So we accepted the challenge and we're in a, a wonderful group of people who are trying to move it forward. So that's why we really believe in Chardonnay is the future. And ABC, anything but Chardonnay, definitely we hear it a lot, but you'll see this if you guys look at the promo for the podcast, our, our bottle is very minimalist. And we did that on purpose because we want the wine to speak for itself. And we don't want to make a white burgundy. We don't want to make a California Chardonnay. We want to make Willamette Valley Chardonnay. And we're really excited to do that. And, you know, we love the minerality that we have here. We love all of the um, phenolics in the skins. We have incredibly clean fruit up here because we don't have a rainy season in the summertime. So... I'm I'm really excited about the future and all signs are pointing toward that. Well, it's been pretty cool because there's been the resurgence of Chardonnay, as you just spoke to, but there's a Chardonnay festival now. And Oregon has been nothing but Pinot, Pinot, Pinot for 40 years, 50 years, how many every years? And so to see this really cool Chardonnay festival kind of pop up the last couple of years and really have this really cool, like sharp centered focus on Chardonnay, I don't think people realize that it's a thing. 
and yeah. and then why it's a thing and why people are making such a big deal out of it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And we also have a number of single vineyard bottlings as well. We had do a really interesting, really hard crush and uh, extract a lot of phenolics out of the skins of our Chardonnay. We don't sulfide in the press pan, and then we just let the wine develop on its own, and we don't sulfur until after mallow. And the reason that we do that is because the grape skins, like a red wine, is that's where a lot of the uh, flavor is, especially in Chardonnay, uh, because Pinot and Chardonnay are, are grown together in Burgundy, but they're also genetically related. So uh, we have a lot of different expressions about with Chardonnay. And so our goal is to really show people that Chardonnay is just not one monolithic thing, even in a region. So Eola Amity Hill Chardonnay is very different than Chehala Mountain Chardonnay, for example. So yeah. Let's talk about those differences because we didn't, I asked the question and then I interrupted you and we didn't actually get to the difference between even just like Napa and Willamette Valley. But now we've taken all these AVAs and we're having differences between the AVAs within the Willamette Valley. So let's, um, can you just, I guess, you know, give us the cliff notes of all that? And totally. Kind of, yeah. I like cliff notes. We don't have to go super deep into the weeds because we'll lose people, but I like cliff notes. Oh, totally. I mean, between California Chardonnay and Willamette Valley, I mean, this is something that Chris and I talk about all the time. If you look at the the distance on a map, it's like the difference between North Africa and Paris. It's so far away. The climates wow. are so different. And the quality of the sunlight is completely different as well. So the way that the Chardonnay ripens in Willamette Valley is is very, very distinct. I know that people are excited about the qualities of Eola Amity Hills Chardonnay specifically because you have that really, really incredible effect of the Van Duzer corridor coming through. I think Andy talked about this as well um, in the evenings. And so you have huge diurnal swings and it's very exciting because it adds to that crispness and acidity. And we have beautiful Jory soils that really adds to the, the power um, and the minerality of the Eola Amity Hills Chardonnay. It's definitely become kind of a hot AVA because, I mean, when I first came to, you know, the McMinnville Hill County area, and granted this was 25-ish years ago, I mean, it was all about Dundee. And Dundee is amazing, but Eola Amity Hills keeps getting brought up more and more and more just for the distinctness of probably those Van Duzer corridor, you know, winds and the influences and all the soils. So, but it's always wrapped around Pinot. It's not very often wrapped around Chardonnay and or you're hill about Riesling because Riesling has such a terroir effect too. So it's actually cool to hear that. I've not really heard that from anybody yet. Yeah. And also a little plug for one of my favorite places in McMinnville, the Hi-Fi Wine Bar. Check yes, it out. Yes. Um, Evan Martin. And oh, yeah. Martin Woods Wine. He makes amazing wine. Amazing wine. And that's the hot place to go. If you guys come to the Valley and you want to hear um, all the gossip by all the winemakers and all the people, just, <laughs> you know, throw back a few bottles at Hi-Fi and you'll hear people debating about what AVA is best and where they're planting next what's for sale, what people are going to buy, all of that good stuff. So I had a good conversation about what's up in Eola Amity Hills Chardonnay the other night. So, Man, it sounds like maybe I need to start planting Chardonnay at my house. But yeah, good to know. I don't want to. <laughs> it's so much work. I just don't want to do that. Stick with my lazy cows. But it's good to know that that's a possibility. What else do you have on the, on the slate as far as wine? I know you said you had a little bit of Pinot and you have the Chardonnay. Do you have anything else that we should know about? Well, you know, that's it. We're very like classical winemakers. We're really, really excited about projects in Burgundy and Champagnes. People don't know about this, but Double Zero also makes a Blanc de Blanc, that Chardonnay Champagne in the Champagne region with a great family there. And we also make Pinot and Chardonnay in Burgundy. 
So we're just Chardonnay obsessed, a little bit of Pinot because that's fun. And we're making them in those three incredible regions in the world. So that's um, exciting. Yeah. One zero stands for the potential of Chardonnay and the other zero stands for the potential of Pinot Noir because zero is the number of potential in numerology. And we're always trying to push that forward. And I, I tell you that now because my husband had an idea one year to do Riesling and also to do a dessert wine. And I said, we've trademarked double zero. I don't want to do triple zero and quadruple zero. <laughs> so we're sticking with uh, Chardonnay and, and Pinot. And we really believe in them. And, and there's always something to love and always something to learn and, and grow with. So we're exploring that every year. And the great thing is there are some incredible other varietals of white wine that we love that other people make as well. So I'm perfectly thrilled to be drinking copious amounts of our friends' wines as well. <laughs> that is the beauty of the Willamette Valley and having lots of winemaker friends because everybody does something different. They have a very distinct style. Their grapes and are coming from different blocks and different areas with different elevations and terroirs and whatever else. And it's never the same. And it's nice to be able to have somebody else do some more work and then you get to enjoy whatever their, the fruits of their labor was, so to speak. Exactly. So, yes, it's great. It's a great job to have. I love my job because I don't have to make any of the wine or grow the grapes and I get to enjoy what all of y'all make. It's it's perfect, perfect. Let's uh, Let's talk about where people find your wine and how they can buy it and socials and all that good stuff. Yeah, definitely. So um, you can find me on Instagram. My name is Catherine.m.herman. I kind of spell it a funky way. Thanks, mom. <laughs> K-A-T-H-R-Y-N. And our Instagram for the company is house of zero zero, house underscore of underscore zero zero. I like fashion. So it's kind of like house of Dior, house of Chanel. It's the house of double zero, baby. <laughs> and uh, and uh, our website is zero zero, the two numbers, wines.com. We're on a wait list right now. So if you want to click that button, join the wait list, um, join up. So uh, we have a private list. It's a little bit hard to get because we just don't have the volume to fulfill. But if if we have some, I'd be happy to get it into the glass because that's what wine is all about, um, sharing. And we're really excited to share the good news about this varietal from Willamette Valley. It's a great problem to have when you're a winemaker because wine is hard to sell because there's so many different, you know, different companies and different SKUs and whatever else. So when you have a wait list and people are waiting to buy your line, wine, it is a terrible problem to have. It's a great problem to have. Well, one of the problems we have is that Chris and I have to set our own family allocation now. When we bottle something, I'm like, I want a case of that. Peel it off immediately. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got like the library to, so we can see how the wine ages. We've got the wines to sell to distribution and to our private list, but then we have to we have to make sure we keep our own stash too. So yeah, come on over to my house. We I'll find you a little something. <laughs> People need to stop inviting me places because I'm just gonna show up in the you know the middle of the weekend or afternoon and well, you said I could come and drink wine out of your library. So here we are. So you can bring it to my front porch and we'll just have a party there too. Sounds so. good. Yeah, I'll okay. get your address before we yeah, just before we'll, we leave. We'll here. we'll get Dana all involved in this hoot nanny as well. So Last question that we always ask, because this always gets so interesting, is the desert island question. You get to go take one person, dead or alive, one drink, and one snack. And I know you've listened to the show, so you should have known that this was coming. Okay. So I did, but I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> so this is like a real, <laughs> That's why real this, answer. Yes. This is, this is what makes it fun. You never know what's going to come. Okay. So I am a child of the 80s, late 80s, early 90s. And so I have one sister, her name is Chelsea, shout out Chelsea. 
I would bring my sister because we have the best time ever and she's so sarcastic. The beverage would be a Mosul Riesling. Mm. Oh, I would do a beer nose laser, something real sweet and delicious. Um, and then, like I said, I'm a child of the late 80s and early 90s. And my sister and I, after school, would um, eat Dunkaroos. If you guys don't know what a Dunkaroo oh, no, is. I know what those are. Yeah, it's a little packaged snack with little kangaroo-shaped cookies, and you dip them in confetti frosting. Confetti frosting. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So my sister and I would just eat Dunkaroos for Evs and drink some uh, Mosul beer nose laser. Okay. So sister is great. And I'm glad you love your sister as much as you do. But can you take a celebrity with the two of you as well? You got to keep it a little bit interesting. Oh, a celeb? Yeah. I, definitely Beyonce. Because my sister and I learned how to <laughs> dance because we like grew up listening to Destiny's Child. And so she would teach us dance classes like on the beach while we drink Riesling together. You guys are going to be in shape and you're going to have great food and you're going to have Dunkaroos and a great time. So it doesn't sound terrible. Yeah. Okay. Nice work. There you go. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Catherine. We're going to pause right there. We're going to shift wines. We're going to go to another aromatic white with Dana Ben with Coquina. And uh, we'll be right back. Okay, I think we are ready to go again. We got the glasses refilled. Ready. We got Dana's mic all set up and ready to roll. Mm -hmm. So test, I'm test, here. test. Yes. Test, test, test. Yes. So thank you, Dana, for um, coming mm -hmm. by yourself because uh, this was kind of a little bit of a scary test for you to come and do this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I am missing my other half, which we are quite used to doing everything together. We've been working together for the last, this coming 22 vintage will be our ninth vintage together, working side by side. And so, yeah, of course, I'm missing Nicole. Um, Nicole is the other half of Coquina Wines, but we're super excited. We had a really long talk and thank God she trusts me. So <laughs> we're, in a, we're in a good spot. You got um, it. You got the energy and the personality. You can totally carry the team on this I one. I hope so. Yes. I hope so. We'll be good. We'll be good. But I had uh, Catherine go before me, and so I'm just going to pretty much repeat everything she said. So it'll be great. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's start from your kind of origin point, because you both came from different states. Mm -hmm. um, you are not from Oregon originally, nope. and uh, you are not from California originally, um, which is where you've spent some time working the last couple of years. So let's uh, start with these origin stories and how you girls kind of came together and kind of where it's gone from there. Yeah, I'll start with Nicole. So Nicole is from uh, the Atlantic side, the east coast of Florida, central Florida, just south of where the space shuttle takes off. And um, and I'm from Colorado, so I just grew up in the suburbs, nothing exciting, just south of Denver. I'm a big, big fan of being a Colorado native, but I haven't lived there for um, over 10 years now. So we both kind of, we had, you know, our own lovely 20s where we traveled the world and kind of moved all over the place, did different jobs. Um, and then we both ended up in 2014 as interns <laughs> at uh Costa Brown Winery down in Sebastopol in Sonoma County, California. That was our first internship together. Nicole had been working harvests for a couple of years, but that was my first harvest. 
She scared me. She was super intense, very serious about winemaking. Uh, they put her on the white press doing all of our uh, Chardonnay. And uh, I came in bright-eyed and scared, thrown on a forklift, not really quite ready to do that. It was very quickly found out that I was very anal about cleaning, and my nickname very quickly became Danal. And <laughs> I, I was pretty much put on cl all the cleaning tanks and most of the digouts of all the red ferments. Kind of just was a little jack-of-all-trades the first year. And then just very quickly, uh, her and I were both kept on to be full-time at Costa Brown for five vintages total. So we spent about six years of our life there working on a very like close, tight-knit team. There was six of us that one year we traveled to Burgundy as a winemaking team and uh, spent 10 days there traveling around uh, Côte de Nuit and Côte de Bonne and, you know, visiting Coopers and and all sorts of, you know, Premier and Grand Cru wineries and really just soaking it up. So we spent five years at Costa Brown making um, high-end Pinot and Chardonnay, falling in love with it, getting an incredible foundation. And and then we moved across the hill to Napa, California, where we worked at Realm Cellars with Bordeaux varieties. So Cab, Merlot, uh, we got to work with a little bit of Petite Syrah, a little bit of Malbec, Sauvignon Blanc. And we finished up two vintages there and kind of um, through a, a few different motions, found ourselves in a position ready to, to figure out what's next. And that was the beginning of Coquina. We started at the very end of 2020 and just kind of eagerly awaited the 21 harvest. And that is our, we call it our maiden vintage, kind of our inaugural vintage for our wines and for us under Coquina um, out of the professional setting. And we made a Pinot Gris from the Erratic Oaks Vineyard down in the Willamette Valley, the southern part of the down in the Willamette Valley. And yeah, we're super stoked. So let's circle back a little bit okay. because you missed a whole bunch of pieces that you told me the other day. <laughs> okay. And this is when you should not tell me things because I right. remember all the random stuff that mm -hmm. nobody wants to talk about again. This but, is good. Yes. But you and Nicole did not hit it off very no. well at all. Oh my all. gosh. No. She, like I said, she scared me. I was brand new to the wine industry. I had worked in Chicago at a winery topping uh, their wine and like pretty much digging out their like trash bin. And he was like, you'd be a great intern. And so I was brand new. She was well experienced and she was just really intimidating. You know, this Nicole has kind of a knowledge and just like a very strong personality and she's very smart. And she gets very obsessed with what she does. And, you know, she has always been driven more in the enology kind of realm of winemaking where she was more focused on the, the science and uh, working in the lab where I was all seller, all production, all operations. So always in the cellar, driving around a forklift, working with interns, hiring all the crews. And we didn't hit it off. No. And it didn't help that I had a huge crush on her brother. Um, Which you are marrying. I am marrying him yes. next year. So, <laughs> so that it all did worked all work out, too. out. It did all work out. Um, however, it took a number of years before she allowed me to ask him out on a date. So, so you were the aggressor. I was. Yes, yeah. go you. Mm -hmm. I yeah, I'm very proud of it. Um, she saw me date. I won't get into that um, just because maybe people are listening. But I dated all sorts of people in Sonoma County. They're all great, but she definitely, I think, had had uh, something else in mind for me. So she finally let me go on a date with her brother and here we are. 
So business partners, soon to be sister-in-laws. You had told me that and I'm like, okay, so I'm not sure who's marrying who and are you marrying each other or are you marrying somebody's sibling? I mean, I wasn't really sure who was doing what. So you had beat yeah. me to it before I had to ask the weird question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so so congratulations. Because that's going to be yes. so great. I'm super excited. And and she's going to be an incredible sister-in-law. So such a support already. So and it's so nice that, you know, I've had these relationships in my, you know, in my past and in my life as well to where you butt heads horribly. You don't like each other at the beginning, but somehow, some way you come together and find like a common ground and then realize you're probably more alike than you really thought you were. And you become like the best of friends. Yes. Which sounds absolutely, you know, and then, then you become family. So I have not gone quite that far. Well, maybe I have, I don't know. So I guess that's kind of, you know, where I'm at too. So it works out. Okay. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Um, You had mentioned that when you were at, I believe it was Sonoma, you ended up, because this is a unique thing, and we actually touched on it last last time with Anne with Helioterra, but you guys actually led an all-female team. Yeah. Randomly. Um, Randomly. Yes. Uh, So when we left Costa Brown, which we absolutely loved, and we moved on just because we were ready for another step and kind of wanted to expand our horizons and meet new people, and we do love, just like now we're up here in Oregon, love kind of exploring a new a new vineyard area and learning the grapes and the trade and the people and so we 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 left Sonoma and went to Napa and hired our first vintage uh, intern crew in 2019 to be you know it was a mixture of, of boys and girls but definitely more heavy on the the female side and to know nothing else but chance, the girls outperformed the boys. And how I've led intern crews is I always look for people to keep on for the rest of the season into bottling and maybe potentially someone to stay on as a full-time seller hand. And it was just a coincidence, but in 2019, all those positions were filled by women. Um, and so we had a group of six girls running the show at Realm Cellars. Uh, we worked underneath a male winemaker, Benoit. And he was a great leader. However, the six of us kind of took over. We <laughs> got we like were, a little girl gang. We were, there. Yeah, it was yes. a girl gang. We, you know, we were all very close. We were very hardworking. Everyone there definitely earned their position. Um, and that was just a cool experience that happened by chance. But it was also something I'll I'll never forget and we will never forget. It was a, a moment for us all to shine and and a team to be a part of that was really incredible. And we're really proud of the 2019. Um, realm wines that we helped produce. So So we'll have to go check those out. Yes, Yes, that'll be fun. Okay. You totally like hit like high speed, fast speed, like on your trip to Oregon. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you went from California to Oregon and here you are at my table. And so it didn't happen quite that fast. No. No. And so I always ask people, I'm like, you have this great wine, you have this great wine scene down in California, but people end up in Oregon. And so the question is why? You know, what is it that's drawing you here? Is it this magneticism? Mm. Whatever. I don't even know if that's a word. Did that was just good. Make- yes. Okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that pulls people here. Is it the weather? Is it, you know, a significant other? I mean, you know, what is it? So why here? Was it just a new challenge or was there something up here that was just literally like drawing you north? Yeah. Great question. It was a, it's honestly a ball of all of that. Well, a few of those things. So we, it being just Nicole and I starting this brand, uh, we definitely 
are doing coquina out of our own little savings, little pockets. And we came together thinking, you know, having the idea and having our goals of what we wanted to do with coquina and kind of to do that and how how to get it done financially is to kind of be a little bit business savvy and a little bit creative. Through all that, thinking through that, we were positioned um, with an opportunity to come up here and work and help make wine for somebody else while doing our own project kind of at the same time in the same facility. So for those people that understand that, we got free custom crush, as simple as that. But in trade, we were working harvest again as interns. And so that was, you know, the last time we were interns together was 2014. So in 2021, we pulled out our boots and all of our dirty clothing and we were ready to, you know, get back in tanks and kind of be a part of the the daily grind of a winery during harvest. So that that was the main thing is we were trying to be smart about our finances and we wanted to still put our money into fruit. That was the most important thing to us at the time was to find the variety that we wanted to work with and where we wanted to work with it. So another pull is Nicole and I are really into white wines. So as you all know, living here, it is a, a perfect climate and just lends itself to white wines being grown well here and then being just perfectly ready for harvest dates and everything. It was kind of a no-brainer. Everything kind of just fell into place together. So our passion is white wines. We will be making a red wine this year to add to the repertoire. But yeah, we've, we're focusing on white and it just kind of drew us up here. It was kind of a happy accident today with the both of you both being focused on white wines and having these aromatic whites. So it just, you know, sometimes things just happen in this lovely serendipitous way. And so we've had this really great podcast on white wines. And so let's shift to Coquina mm-hmm. and what it is. And I know we've had this discussion probably three times now about your pretty labels mm-hmm. and what they are and what they mean, but it is part of what Coquina is, which is... Yes. Coquina is a form of limestone. It's it's actually a sedimentary rock formed by a bunch of little broken up seashells, to be plain and simple. So on the ocean floor, you have broken seashells, you have dead mollusks, you have all sorts of this debris, and it kind of rough and tumbles up and under pressure forms these beautiful rocks. And those sometimes like come up to the beach side and you can collect them and they're called coquina rocks. They're really beautiful. They're always super unique. Um, And it's just kind of this little rock created by pressure on the ocean floor. Mainly you find them in Florida, but you can kind of spot them all over the place in marine and tropical waters. And so other than that, that is what coquina is literally. When we try to kind of interpret it to what it means to us, we don't really have a straight answer, but Nicole and I are a little different. We're a little rough around the edges and we've come together to create something that we find quite beautiful and delicious to drink. So I will uh, second and third that okay, as great. far as like the <laughs> deliciousness of, you know, what, what you currently have in the bottle. So let's talk about your Pinot Gris because mm-hmm. that's what the offering is right now. That's what you bottled last year. And I know you have new things coming this harvest, but let's, let's talk about this Pinot and kind of your ideas behind the white wine and we don't have to get into the whole what the label means because it's really just a beautiful artistry that somebody created that has a little bit of the shells and just this really whimsiness to it. I think I compared it to the mother tree in Pocahontas or something Mm. like that. It has kind of this of the earth kind of feel of it, but she's very sweet and I don't know. I don't know. She's just very, very pretty. Whoever the artist was did a beautiful job. Yes. Yes. Very good artist. 
so yeah, cook, I mean, the label is great and it's, we're still kind of developing that story, but really her and I are both huge art fans as well. So I guess you can kind of see a little bit of us in the label. But yeah, Coquina, the Pinot Gris comes from the Erratic Oaks Vineyard. So like I said, that's kind of the southwestern area of the Willamette Valley, the kind of new Mount Pisgah, Polk County AVA. And Erratic Oaks is, um, I mean, it's a pretty literal name. At the vineyard, there's three different soil types. You have volcanic soil, you have marine sedimentary, and then a Missoula sedimentary. Um, and then there's these erratics, um, which it refers to these like erratic granite rocks. So an erratic could be like a boulder or a rock that's unlike the other rocks or geology in that area. And they're, they're these granite rocks that actually traveled through like a glacial event 500 miles north of us. They came from kind of that Idaho, Montana area, and they came all the way down here through some sort of granite events. So they're the youngest rocks in the vineyard. And they, you know, they've made them really beautiful. They've kind of arranged them around this giant oak tree in the vineyard. So hence the name, farmed by a woman named Lisa Zuniga. And we've just had a great time working with her. And we harvested the Pinot Gris last year. We will be doing the same Pinot Gris this year, as well as a Riesling from the same vineyard. So we're really excited for that. And yeah, so Coquina is mainly a white wine label, but we also do enjoy making and drinking some red wine. So we're going to bring a Trousseau Noir onto the portfolio for 2022. So what is a Trousseau Noir? Yeah, the Trousseau grape, also known as Bastardo, is from the, the Jura region. Just really excited to have the opportunity to put the word Bastardo on our wine label but it, the Trousseau... Can, can uh, you spell that before yeah. we get too much further? Because it, it's just, yeah, Bastardo. Okay. Like. <laughs> okay. So it's a, I mean, it's known as the Trousseau grape. People have been making it and it's definitely has a surgence kind of in more of the, um, I don't want to say hip, but in the hip kind of culture of wines um, lately to be making Trousseau Gris or Trousseau Noir. And we, Nicole and I, are, are very focused on making classic, clean, fresh, sophisticated wines. Um, and we definitely want to keep doing that. And with the Trousseau Noir, we will be making a really nice, just light, fun, playful red that you can throw in your, your refrigerator and drink chilled to kind of go along with the theme of a white wine brand. I love it. I love it all. Let's talk different soils here just a little bit, because you just mentioned all these different soils that are in the erratic vineyard. But in California, you're not used to use, you know, utilizing and working with that same soils. No. So what are kind of the differences between the two and what do you have you noticed as far as like the fruit? So that's a harder question. I think I think for us, we pay attention to soil types and everything. I guess we're still trying to figure that out. I mean, yeah. it takes years to learn a, a vineyard mm -hmm. and it takes years to learn what that soil is going to do the vineyard. Like that piece of land has been through a lot of movement. And I definitely think that the stress of the land and how hard the vines have to work um, in order to find water, that's all new stuff to us. Yeah. So I will be honest, volcanic and sedimentary and marine sedimentary aren't soils that Nicole and I ever really have worked with. I think only with time we're going to, the vineyard is going to speak to us right now. We got one year and we're like, this is what we're going to have to do with it. And like, we might see this year after like such a, I guess the weather up here was quite drastic in comparison to last year, 
what that's going to do and how the soil responds and in all sorts of facets. So did you have a question? No, she has yeah. something oh, to say. Yes. Oh, I have something to say here. Okay. <laughs> This is a ladies' podcast. I have something to say. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Catherine. Yeah. Um, so you should talk to a really amazing gentleman named Kevin Chambers. Kevin he's, Chambers. He's amazing. Yeah. Yep. He's like the soil Yoda. Yes. Yes. Um, we get Pinot Noir from a vineyard called Stardance, and he was giving a talk at the Oregon Chardonnay celebration a few years ago, and he was talking about the pea vine soil. And we make wine from this Stardance vineyard. It's pea vine, and I didn't know what the pea vine was. So <laughs> I was like, Kevin, come here. I'm like, what's, what's pea vine? I need to know. <laughs> and he told me all about it. Great. Um, so, yes, I'll send you his info. Okay. Great. Yes. Mr. Chambers. Kevin yes. Chambers. Kevin, Kevin and Carla Chambers. Yeah, okay. they actually just sold their vineyard. Uh, a little earlier this year, they're up on top of Yule Hills. Okay, yeah. cool. Um, so now that you have one year under your belt, you know, what are your mm -hmm. thoughts mm -hmm. being up here and kind of what you've experienced so far? And what are you looking forward to this coming harvest? Yeah. Well, I mean, on that note, I think a lot of it is going to be, I guess, working a little closer with Lisa. We've like built a little bit of a relationship. Unfortunately, I think she'll be a little bit harder to get a hold of in the next few weeks. But I think looking forward to to making the Pinot Gris and and bringing on two more wines this year and learning more about the Willamette Valley and and meeting people and kind of just throwing ourselves into the region and being newcomers and especially being from another wine region, it's going to be a little bit of a an adjustment period. And I think what we're really excited about is just to keep making wine. Our happiest spot is in the winery and processing and tasting our wines and talking about how we're going to do them and and also working with varieties that we've never made. And I think that's the biggest part is learning learning from these varieties and and letting them teach us. And I think that's what's exciting cuz I you know you gave me this question and three goats gave me this question. They're like, "We're new. Why do you want to talk to us?" And I think it's it's several different answers, but one is your Nicole's energy is just very infectious. Um, you have just this great kind of bright, shiny light around you, and you're having so much fun, and you're loving what you're doing. And the other piece of that is I love small brands that are trying to figure out who they are and where they're going, and they're making really beautiful wine, you know, right out of the gate. And part of it is you've had all this experience down in California making wine and in Chicago and whatever else. But now you've taken all those experiences and what you've learned down there, both in the vineyard and the winery itself, and you're turning it into something that is 100% you. And with really nobody else's influence other than your own heart and your own energy and your own kind of forward-thinking future. So, um, Well, thank you. Yes. So I think you should, you know, give yourself a little bit of a pat on the back <laughs> because you weathered kind of a really crap year last year with you know, the weather and then I think somebody called it Satan's bubble over, you know, mm. Oregon last year. And it was, it was hot up here. And so you're working with fruit that has been, you know, stressed and cooked in the sun more than it probably wanted to. And you came out with this really great product. Yeah. Thank you very much. I so I'm excited that. to see what you do this year mm -hmm. with not only the Pinot Gris, but also 
the bastardo um, <laughs> noir. I'm going to never forget that. <laughs> the Trousseau noir. Yes. 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 Bastardo is much better. Yes. <laughs> and especially if you kind of like reemphasize the two sides of it, it's that much more fun for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also the Riesling, which is probably hands down, probably my favorite white yes, as, really as a whole, excited. that and the Sauve Blanc. Those are probably my two favorite whites just because of the aromatics and whatever. So I'll be waiting for the Sauve Blanc to hit the lineup too. Just, awesome. you know, so, you know, I know you don't have that in your plans, but no, I, 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 put, I put it on your list. We did for make you. it. It was yes. fun, but you, yeah, we talked about it, but it was quickly uh, shot out because we've done it before. So well, that sucks, but that's okay. <laughs> also, we'll still be friends. It's, it's really okay. Okay. So let's, um, let's figure out where people are going to find you, see you, mm-hmm. taste your wine, drink your wine. And actually, before we get to that, you were here last week and you were so cute because you guys are so new that every time I would say somebody's name or a winery or whatever, <laughs> you had your little notebook out and you were like scribbling down names and like, where do I find these people? And like, let me know if you need me to introduce you. <laughs> They're just great people for you to know. And the one thing I love about the Oregon wine industry is that there's such a collaborative spirit here and people are willing to step in and help and be friends Mm -hmm. no matter where in the world you came from and where in the world you're going. So Mm -hmm. um, huge kudos to everybody in the Oregon wine industry for the most part. There's a couple of bastardos in the in the whole, oh, yes. the whole group. There, there always is, you it. know, but and for the most part, everybody's <laughs> great. So, okay. No, it's well, been wonderful. Yeah. Been so wonderful. let's go back to where we find all your wine and where we can drink it. Yeah. I'd say to focus on where in Oregon to find it. We will always sell you wine out of our trunk. We also have placements at a few places in Portland, uh, Provador and Negociant and 1856. And then there's a couple other places in Portland. We're working with a distributor that covers Oregon and Washington. Um, And so literally I'm getting new updates daily about where he's figuring out places to have it. So, And then we also sell directly to consumers on our website. We are always happy to fulfill orders that way. So, yeah. I love it. the fact that you're selling it out of your trunk. This yeah. reminds me like in the 80s and 90s when people are like selling their CDs out of their trunk. Yeah, grassroots, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah, here, listen to my music. <laughs> I burn it on a tape for you. <laughs> no, I mean, legally, yes, we go through our website. Um, I, I know but you're we're kidding. pretty. <laughs> but I, I love the visual of it. <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, we we really will uh, do anything and and yeah, anything to have someone try it because we just... We love sharing it. I think the most important thing is to have fun with it and just like the challenge, I guess, just consistently challenge and learn. So, I had a whole group of girls at my house last weekend when I opened it and some of them were college students. So you can't really give them a lot of kudos for, you know, having like really sophisticated palettes, but they all loved it and had multiple glasses. I had, you know, probably more than they did because I actually hogged it by the time and you know they'd all had their little taste I'm like it was back to mine so you have a fan club at my house oh, for sure that's what we want yes um so thank you again for coming in and coming in by yourself without Nicole because I know um the two of you in here would have been just really a, a big room of energy so question goes back to you though you you get to go to a deserted island too yes um you can't take your soon-to-be husband because that's not fair. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't give Catherine the rule. She couldn't take any family members. So celebrity, snack, and beverage. Okay. I did slightly prepare for this. Um, I'm not allowed to choose Nicole. No. Okay. Nicole is well, Is not she a invited. celebrity yet? She is not a celebrity. I just really appreciate that I don't have to talk when I'm around her because she just reads my mind. So 
that is that is who I would pick. But my celebrity, personally, she is definitely not going to agree. But for Coquina to take a celebrity, we would we're kind of in like this Paul Rudd thing. Um, I'm talking about we meaning me. Yeah, <laughs> um, I love him, and ever since Clueless came out, I just have not been able to shake him. So you got a Paul um, Rudd crush. Yeah, I got a big, I know it's, he's <laughs> like a little older brother kind of like thing, you know, like friends, older brother, maybe this tracks, but yeah, Paul Rudd, definitely Mezcal Margaritas, hands down. I do. I mean, I will, it, that's a little faux pas because I am a winemaker, but um, Mezcal Margaritas with salt and my snack would definitely be ice cream. There's no, no question. Those, it does, do, they don't go together. I'm like, do those go they together? They don't go together. Um, I don't think you have to have them go together. You could have like a mezcal margarita float. Yeah, you could. There I you mean, go. the more you get to know me, nothing really makes sense. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, mezcal margaritas. I just pick my favorites. I do, I'm not, you know, pairing is definitely important, but not on a deserted island. No, I agree. I totally agree. So, okay, way to cheat. That was good. That Big was a cheat, good. That was a good I don't cheat. know how I'm going to keep either of those cold. Yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> eh. but I'll figure it out. It just you need to watch a few episodes of Gilligan's Island okay, because there you go. they figured out everything. They did. You just yeah. use coconuts, coconuts. To, to fix everything. Or just coconut ice cream. Yeah, yeah. there we go. You can do that too. <laughs> so, okay, so everybody, go find your Double Zero wines and your Coquina wines. And ladies, this has been such a pleasure and thank you for sharing everything with us and uh we got snacks to go eat right now so we're gonna finish this baby up and move down the hall thank you it was really really amazing thank you so much yes thank you Heidi thank you Catherine absolutely and everybody don't forget life is short make sure and drink the wine Dun, dun, dun.